A'udhu Billah Minash Shaitan Ar-Rajeem Bismillah Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim In the name of God, most merciful, ever merciful, and may God's peace and blessings be upon His Holy Prophet Muhammad and the purified members of His household and progeny. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad wa ajil farajahum. Brothers, sisters, respected viewers, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And welcome once again to our series, Life, the Islamic Answer. We were discussing the merits of the scholar or the teacher in Islam. So a very, very quick recap of the points that we have covered until now. We said that part of the honors or the merits or the ranks of the scholar is that simply having knowledge. We saw the narration saying that simply having knowledge needs to be considered as a type of additional blessing and a fortune uh, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when he wants to treat some of his servants well or better then he grants them knowledge we saw the narrations that talk about the true greatness being the greatness in the kingdom of God or in the heavenly kingdom and that the best way to do to acquire that merit to have greatness in the kingdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is to learn to act and to teach we saw narrations related to the passing of knowledge to others as being the greatest act of charity. We saw narrations related to those who carry knowledge and who pass it on to others as being the trustees of God and they are the trustees over the knowledge and they are also the trustees over other people and depending on the narrations over the creatures of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We saw narrations that say that scholars are those who are going to be the closest in rank to prophets in the afterlife. And as we said, we were going to have a subheading related to scholars and teachers in the afterlife. And we also saw narrations related to the fact that simply looking at the face of a scholar can be considered an act of worship and we explained why we mean what we mean by that and last time we met we were talking about the death of the scholar being an irreplaceable loss and this allowed us to have a bit of a discussion around the importance of scholars and the role that they play in this world and in our lives and so this means that the presence of the scholar it's not just the presence of knowledge, it's that the presence of the person in themselves, the individual, is important in our life. And secondly, the role that they play. And therefore, if someone has knowledge, but they are not playing the role that the narration said that these people are playing, including, for instance, acting as a source of protection, as a fortress for the belief of others, and so on and so forth, that there is something perhaps lacking in the profile of that scholar and perhaps this is not the scholar that is being referred to in these narrations so inshallah today we continue with the next subheading which as we said we're going to focus on a few of the narrations that explain and emphasize how those who carry knowledge and pass it on to others are of a greater rank than those who perform acts of worship without performing that additional duty towards knowledge. And so 
there are many, many, many narrations related to this. There's a lot of hadith related to how knowledge and those who carry knowledge is superior to worship and those who perform acts of worship. And so before we go further, because I know that this is a topic that can generate a lot of questions. First, this is something we talked about earlier in this in the series. But when we were going through those narrations at that time, we were focused on for myself as a learner, when I want to learn this religion, we saw the ahadith that basically say this act of learning, acquiring religion is superior, is better, is more beneficial, is more rewarded in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala than performing acts of worship. Okay, that's where we were coming from and the perspective we had looking at those ahadith. So there might seem to be a little bit of repetition here, but in these ahadith, now we're focused on the merit of the scholar and the teacher. So some ahadith, there's a couple that will be the same as the ones we covered. The angle from which we're looking at them is going to be different, and others are going to be different entirely. New ahadith, inshallah. And we had a, a little bit of a discussion there, also explaining why. Why is there such a merit? Why is there so much superiority granted to the person who carries knowledge and who passes down knowledge to others and even who acquires knowledge over the person who is simply acting and performing acts of worship. So we had a whole discussion. So I don't want to repeat all of the points that we mentioned there, but simply, and I'll get back to them in our conclusion from this uh, little section. First, let's be clear that if you find a hadith, for instance, in our religion in general, and so it applies here specifically, that you have two things that talk about two things that we know both are extremely good acts, acts that are extremely, both of them encouraged, extremely, both of them important, then clearly the narrations that will say one of them is much superior to the other, much better than the other, much more rewarded than the other, this is not to discourage from one or the other of the acts. It is simply to show that one of them is more important for a number of reasons. Okay, But this is not to say that, therefore, don't do the other thing. When you have clear narrations, hadith, that talk about both being important, or separately, they talk about them separately. And so this is in general, because we have a lot of that in our religion, and specifically when it comes to knowledge. So in this case, we're focusing on how knowledge is superior to worship. So nowhere or no way should we be interpreting these ahadith as meaning, therefore, don't perform acts of worship. Acts of worship are not recommended, or that's not ex entirely not what the ahadith are saying. Therefore, we have to make sure we understand then what are the ahadith saying. This is what we want to establish. Okay, that's first. And when we go through these hadith specifically, which are focused on knowledge and acts of worship, well, clearly we know in the case of acts of worship, this is perhaps the first thing that comes to all of our minds when we think about doing anything that will grant us rewards in the afterlife and in this world to perform acts of worship. This is, is this not the whole point of our religion, to perform the acts of worship? And when we look at the life of the Holy Prophet, inshallah, will dedicate time I think it's shocking when you read the amount of worship that the Holy Prophet, for instance, performed. 
It's truly shocking. I'm not exaggerating with this word. You know, we have some of the companions who would say, we would come to pray behind the Holy Prophet He wants to pray with the Prophet, who's performing perhaps a recommended prayer. And so he says he recited Surah Al-Fatiha, and then he recited Surah Al-Baqarah after Surah Al-Fatiha. And this is the Holy Prophet reciting. Okay? And then when he finished it, he started reciting Surah Al-Imran. And when he finished it, he recited Surah Al-Nisa. This is in a single rak'ah of the prayer of the Holy Prophet. And then he says, this is Hudayfa in this specific narration. Then he says, then when he went to his ruku' he lasted as long as he lasted in his qiyam. You feel, you get the impression from Hudayfa. Yes, he is describing the, the worship of the Holy Prophet. And he's also saying, I almost, I regretted. And he said it, he says it in one of the narrations. He says, I could no longer continue the, the prayer with the Holy Prophet in this way. And when he continues, he says, and then he went to his sujood and he lasted as long as he lasted in his ruku'ah. Like you really get the impression that this is a prayer that lasts six, eight, ten hours in one single act of prayer of the Holy Prophet It's not an exaggeration when we say that the imams would perform these acts of rituals and worship and prayer. And if they are our role models, that's why I want to insist that we're not saying, therefore, don't perform acts of worship. This is not what these ahadith are saying. We have to get to the bottom of what these ahadith are saying. They're not saying, therefore, it is discouraged to perform acts of worship. Okay? Simply to highlight, these ahadith are simply highlighting the crucial importance of knowledge. And this is where I want to make that distinction. One way to understand this is simply to say, Therefore, this is how important knowledge is. That's one way to understand this. The other way to understand this is to say, this is how necessary. And these are two different ways of understanding knowledge. It's one thing to say that knowledge is important. Alaykum assalam wa rahmatullah. It's one thing to say that knowledge is important. It's another thing to say knowledge is necessary. And this is the key. This is the distinction between the act of worship and the knowledge required to give meaning to that act of worship. And that's the key. Okay? And so, inshallah, we're going to make this a little bit more clear as we go through these ahadith. But when you perform an act of worship, let's say I sit here and I, I don't know, I want to consider this chair, let's say this is an idol. And I sit here in front of this idol and I want to consider this, this is now going to be my God. And I'm going to perform 10 hours of worship to this entity that I consider to be my God. What is the value of this worship? I'm taking an extreme example just to highlight the importance of knowledge. There's no value to it. I took something completely false that holds absolutely no truth. I created meaning to it when it does not have any meaning. And now I'm performing acts that I'm calling rituals or worship towards that. This idol, for instance. So what's the value of this act of worship? None. It has no connection with reality. It has no truth in itself. I can perform all the acts of worship towards this false falsehood or false entity. It's not going to carry any meaning. What's missing What's missing is to have a correct belief. 
is to have knowledge, and so this is what is implied in all of these hadith. There are two points that are implied here. The first one is that when it's talking about knowledge, this is not just knowledge in the sense that we use it. This is not knowledge as in you are aware of something. No, this means that this is knowledge that you have internalized and it has become a belief. This is something you believe in and you act on. It has transformed you from inside. And so this is the knowledge that these hadith are talking about. This is the knowledge that is better than worship. It's not just that you know something. It's that, it's that you know and it has affected you. It's that you know and you have internalized it. You believe in it. Because there's a distinction in our world. There's a distinction between to know something and to believe in it. You may know something and you still don't really believe in it. And we've talked about this at length in the past. Okay, You may know, but you still don't really believe in it. In this case... There is no question, there is no doubt that the ahadith are talking about a knowledge that has been internalized and you fully believe in it. And of course, the second implication here is that when it's talking about worship, what's implied is that you are worshipping without having the knowledge. This is a corollary, right? So on the side of knowledge, the knowledge that is going to be mentioned in the ahadith, I'm saying it at the forefront so that we don't repeat it in every hadith. And both of these points, you're going to see that they're clearly established in the ahadith. Except that not every hadith is going to repeat that. So first, the knowledge is a knowledge that has been internalized and has become a belief. And secondly, when it's talking about the worship, it's, talking, it's comparing it to a worship that is lacking that knowledge. And so we know that one example I just used is that this has no meaning. It becomes an act of worship that does not carry meaning. That's one problem. Another problem can be that you become dangerous. And we spent time on this earlier in the series. And Imam Ali السلام, and the Holy Prophet and the Imams, when they say, you know, two people have broken my back, if you remember those hadith, for instance. One of them is the scholar who performs sins and people recognize that this is someone who is supposed to be a scholar and they're performing sins. And the other one is the person who is ignorant and they are a worshiper. And they are full of ignorance. So it's very attractive for people to see this person such a worshiper. They're like a monk. What an amazing worship they have. They know the Holy Quran so well. They know how to recite the Qur'an. Their worship looks good. In appearance, it looks good. So it becomes very attractive for people. But what they carry is ignorance. So they attract people to ignorance. And people consider that to be religion. And the person who is also attractive to people because they are supposed to be a scholar and they openly perform sins. And then this is an open invitation, therefore, to everyone to perform those sins. Okay, those ahadith were very clear. So inshallah, all of this is very clear. And that's why we were saying, in one way, the danger of these, alaykum assalam wa rahmatullah, the reason for these ahadith, one way is to avoid falling into worship that is meaningless because you don't carry the right knowledge. The other way to understand them is that it can become very dangerous. How many are those who perform the rituals very well? 
But because of the knowledge or because of the belief that is misguided, this becomes more dangerous than anything. And the best example of this in our history is the Khawarij during the time of Imam Ali alayhi salam. They had the best acts of worship. They were recognized as having performed so much prayer and they recited the Quran and they knew the ahadith and they had fought some of them in the battles of the Prophet and Imam Ali alayhi salam. But they were considered to be entirely devoid of true beliefs. They don't carry true belief. They do, they perform blind rituals. They perform the rituals to perform the ritual. Everybody can perform the same ritual. What does the ritual do to you? Does it affect you? Does it change you? Does it do anything to your soul? Are you a better person for performing that prayer? In appearance, my prayer and the prayer of the Holy Prophet may look like they're the same. I stand there, I perform a really nice prayer, I recite very well, but it doesn't affect me in any way. And the Holy Quran tells the Holy Prophet, you perform this prayer, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will grant you maqaman mahmuda. You will reach a praiseworthy station that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you. It's the same prayer. In appearance, it looks the same. What's the difference? He has knowledge. He knows what he's doing. He knows who he is worshipping. He knows the meaning of that prayer. I don't. What I know from that prayer is a mechanical, ritualistic act. And I get thawab for that. I get reward for that. But of course, it's not going to be the same reward as the Holy Prophet gets. And this is what, that's why we keep repeating, this is what is going to give meaning to the act of worship. That you know what you're doing. So before you act, it makes sense to go and acquire the knowledge that makes you understand why are you worshipping in the first place. And what is the meaning of this act of worship? How is it supposed to be affecting you? And then when you perform the act, that act is going to have a completely different meaning. This is the difference between the act performed by someone who doesn't know, someone who knows a little bit, and someone who knows a lot. The same act. It's going to affect us very differently. Okay, that was a much longer introduction than I wanted to. We can go into the ahadith. So the first hadith from the Holy Prophet ﷺ, in which he says, very general, in which he says, So the Holy Prophet ﷺ says, sleep with knowledge, to sleep while you carry knowledge, is better than to perform prayer with ignorance. So if you look at the acts in themselves, you're comparing to sleep with prayer. There should be no measure here between prayer and sleep. The Holy Prophet says, no, sleeping while you know, you carry the right types of knowledge. If you go sleep in that state, this is better than being someone who performs prayer, but you're completely devoid of knowledge. And as we said, go back in history, we have too many examples. Khawarij are an excellent example of this. What good is this prayer? What good is this recitation of the Holy Qur'an? If your knowledge is completely misguided, if the manner in which you use the knowledge is going to bring you somewhere completely different than where it's supposed to bring you. The next hadith from the Holy Prophet I'm going to try to go a little bit faster. 
طلب العلم أفضل عند الله من الصلاة والصيام والحج والجهاد في سبيل الله. So this one is very clear, very explicit. There are no conditions, nothing added as a nuance to this hadith. Okay, we're going to see a lot more detail in the next ahadith. But just to establish kind of the benchmark, the Holy Prophet says, seeking knowledge is superior in the sight of Allah to praying, fasting, going to perform the pilgrimage, and striving in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this makes it very clear. And this is a quick discussion that we had earlier. We said those who are going to be closest in rank to the prophets in the afterlife, and I told you guys, wait until we get there, because it said two categories of people. And those two categories were going to be those who struggled in the way of God and the scholars. And I said, wait for the ahadith. It's true that those categories are apart from everyone else, but within them, there's a huge difference. Even within them, there's a huge difference between everyone else and the scholar, the person who carries the true knowledge. Okay, and so here, there's a clear example of this, where seeking, this is not yet, and I'm, I'm, I'm emphasizing this, I'm, I've put the, the hadith in an order, and this hadith, it's not even saying that this is now someone who carries the knowledge. This hadith is simply saying to seek. You are someone who is on the journey to start acquiring knowledge. This act of yours is better than performing all of those other acts. And the imam in this case, or the Holy Prophet ﷺ, we have the similar hadith from the imams. They listed the things that today we consider to be the pillars of our religion. These are the most important acts in our religion. They are the obligatory acts. Without these acts, there is no religion. This is prayer and fasting and performing the pilgrimage and performing this striving in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's it. This is, these are today, and we have too many ahadith that list these as our, the main pillars of our religion. And seeking knowledge in the ahadith is superior to all of these acts of worship. Next hadith, Imam Sadiq alayhi salam, from the Holy Prophet. He says, the Holy Prophet said, فَضْلُ الْعِلْمِ أَحَبُّ إِلَى اللَّهِ مِنْ فَضْلِ الْعِبَادَةِ Then he adds, وَأَفْضَلُ دِينِكُمُ الْوَرَعَ So Imam Sadiq says, the Holy Prophet said, the virtue of knowledge is more beloved to God than the virtue of worship. So this part we already saw. Then he added this detail. He says, and the best of your religion is piety or God-fearing. So here we have to pay attention to this. The Imam is giving something more. He says, seeking knowledge is better than an act of worship. Okay. But then he says, and the best part of your faith is that you fear God, to have piety. You're a pious person, you're God-fearing, you have wara'. So here clearly, the Imam is establishing a link. If he says to seek knowledge and to have knowledge is better than performing an act of worship, and the best part of your religion, of your faith, is God-fearing, the Imam is clearly saying that it's through the knowledge that you get that part. And this is clearly established in the Qur'an. In many, many verses of the Holy Qur'an, it talks clearly about this. 
The way the Arabic construction, the verse is, is worded in this way. We think the, the verse is simply saying, scholars fear God. This is not how the, the verse is structured. Innama yakshallah min ibadihi from all of the servants of God, truly the only ones who fear him are the scholars, ulama. This is how the word the wording of the verse is structured. It's not saying scholars fear God. It's saying from all of the servants of God, those who truly fear him are the ones who carry knowledge. That's why the Imam is saying the best of your religion is God-fearing. And right before that he said, seeking knowledge is better than, more beloved to God than any act of worship. So there's clearly a logic here. You want to get to the best part of your faith, what you need is not just more acts of worship. What you need is knowledge that will become faith. And out of that knowledge and faith, you will perform acts of worship that carry meaning. But first you need to acquire the knowledge that becomes the belief. And so this is, I think if we understand this equation, all of the ahadith makes sense. You need knowledge, that knowledge becomes faith, that faith is where your actions, your rituals stem from. You can't just blindly jump into acts of rituals and worship. That will not carry meaning. It only carries meaning to the extent that you understand what you're doing, that you have belief behind them. And then those acts start to carry more and more meaning as you have more and more knowledge about what you're performing, what you're doing. Next hadith from Imam Ali alayhi salam, very much in line with the same uh, pattern here. Imam Ali alayhi salam says, قَلِيلُ amal مَعَ كَثِيرِ الْعِلْمِ خَيْرٌ مِنْ كَثِيرِ الْعَمَلِ مَعَ قَلِيلِ الْعِلْمِ وَالشَّكِّ وَالشُبْهَةِ So another version and another explanation for this great rank and this great merit of carrying scholarship. Imam Ali alayhi salam says, a small amount of knowledge that is acted upon is more beneficial than a great amount of knowledge that is not acted upon. And then he adds, accompanied by doubt and ambiguity. This is the key, or another key. Why is knowledge so much superior to the act of worship? The act of worship by itself may not help you deal with the doubts and the ambiguity and the questions and the rejection and the lack of arguments and so on and so forth. Knowledge will give you that. If you're not sure about this Quran, is it really a revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or not? If this is your knowledge, if this is the faith you're coming with, shaky, full of doubts, unsure, Reciting this Qur'an, reading it in that with that background is very different from the person who sits there reciting the Qur'an saying, this is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaking to me. This is the constitution of God to humanity and I'm trying to learn it and understand it and act it. Very, very different positions. Both of them externally, when you look at them superficially from the outside, they look like they're performing the same act. This person is not really sure what they're doing. They're reciting the Qur'an. 
And the other person is reciting this from a completely different perspective. The only, the Qur'an says, those who have belief, when they recite the Qur'an, it's a healing for them. It only increases them in faith, other verses say. Is it having that effect on you? Is it healing you when you recite it because you have that type of faith? Or you're lacking the knowledge and the faith so the Qur'an doesn't have that effect on you. You're saying the words, you're uttering the words, but it's not really having any effect on you. So here, simply highlighting the fact that one of the merits of knowledge is therefore that this is what allows you to solidify your faith, to firm it up, to solidify it, to anchor it, to fix it, and to deal with doubts and questions and concerns that you may have about your faith. Next hadith from the Holy Prophet ﷺ. He says, سَاعَةٌ مِنْ عَالِمٍ يَتَّكِئُ عَلَى فِرَاشِهِ يَنظُرُ فِي عَمَلِهِ خَيْرٌ مِنْ عِبَادَةِ الْعَابِدِ سَبْعِينَ عَامًا so the Holy Prophet says an hour of reflection by a knowledgeable person resting on his bed, looking into his deeds or his actions or his affairs okay, is better than 70 years of worship by a devout worshiper. This person is worshiping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for 70 years in a devout way. And again, what was implied as we said is that this worshipper does not have knowledge. That's the part that is not said in the ahadith. This is just blind worship. Compared to this, not, this knowledgeable person, this true scholar, the Holy Prophet says for one hour, this person is not standing there, getting tired, exhausted, worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They are resting on their side, on their bed, the Prophet says. Right? مِنْ عَالِمٍ يَتَّكِئُ عَلَى فِرَاشِهِ He's resting on his bed, doing what? يَنظُرُ فِي عَمَلِهِ Reflecting upon his actions. Physically, a lot less tiring. You would think, therefore, there's much more reward granted to the person performing the worship. The Holy Prophet says, no. This one hour is better than, it's not even equivalent to, it's better than the 70 years of worship from the worshiper. Because this person has the knowledge. There's a lot more meaning behind this than just acting blindly, mechanically, doing something that has no real meaning. And there's a tiny hint here in this hadith that this person, perhaps because they are a true scholar, even in their hour of rest, they are still thinking and reflecting on and meditating on their actions and their deeds. Amal. Am I performing the right things? Can I do better? Did I make a mistake here? Is there anything to rectify? And so on and so forth. Next hadith from Imam al-Sadiq alayhi salam. An Muawiyah bin Ammar qal, Qultu li Abi Abdullah alayhi salam, Rajulun rawiyatun li hadithikum, Yabuthu thalika ila nas, Wa yushadiduhu fi qulubi shi'atikum, وَلَعَلَّ عَابِدًا مِنْ شِيَعَتِكُمْ لَيْسَتْ لَهُ هَذِهِ الرُّوَايَةِ أَيُّهُمَا أَفْضَلْ قَالَ رَاوِيَةٌ لِحَدِيثِنَا يَبُثُّ فِي النَّاسِ وَيُشَدِّدُ فِي قُلُوبِ شِيَعَتِنَا أَفْضَلُ مِنْ أَلْفِ عَابِدٍ So, 
this companion of Imam Sadiq Muawiyah bin Ammar, he says, I came to Imam Abu Abdullah, Imam Sadiq and I asked him, I told him, a narrator who conveys your traditions, your narrations, disseminating them among the people, and strengthening your teachings in the hearts of your followers. This is what this person does. They carry your narrations, your traditions, your teachings to the people and they make them stronger and more firm in the hearts of your followers. And a worshipper. So this is the first person, the second person and a worshipper among your followers who does not have your narrations or who does not perform this task of disseminating your narrations. That's what the hadith means. This person is concerned with performing their acts of worship. And the other one is spreading the teachings in this way, strengthening them in the hearts of your followers. Which one is better? So the Imam said, a narrator or one narrator. A narrator or one narrator who conveys our traditions, disseminating them among the people and strengthening them in the hearts of our followers is better than 1,000 worshippers. This is Imam Sadiq And that's why we say when we go to the school of Imam Sadiq, we see the importance of knowledge, the insistence of knowledge. And there's a few things to say about this hadith. The first one is this companion, when he came to the Imam, he used the term. He said, He described this person as being a rawiyah. So we would think that this is someone who narrated one of your hadith. This is not what it means. Rawiyah means that this is someone who does this all the time. So much that you would think, you know, this is their main task, their main job, their main function. They've taken this on. That's what he means. Okay, this is not someone who uh, recited or repeated or transmitted one narration. When he says, when he uses this term of Rawiyah, this is the work of this person. This is what this person is always doing. Does it so much that you can recognize them? That this is part of what they do. They disseminate these ahadith. That's first. Secondly, the hadith in the manner in which the man, the companion of the imam asked, and in the manner in which the imam responded, there was a condition which we spoke about last week. This is not just someone who is spreading any knowledge. And I want to come back to this point of just not any knowledge. And he's not just repeating and transmitting narrations. There is an effect that is described. You're choosing the right things and presenting them in the right way so that it has this specific effect, which is what? Which is that you are strengthening the faith in the hearts of the followers. This is the ultimate effect that you have to have. This is a condition before I say I can fall into this category or not, I have to make sure that I meet this condition. It's not just that I spread the knowledge. I'm spreading the right knowledge to the right people in the right way so that I strengthen the faith of the people in their hearts. And our discussion last time we met was to be careful not just because you know things and you know every angle and every version and every opinion about every topic of concern that you need to put all of that to the forefront and to explain it and to discuss it just to show how much you know. 
when in the end a lot of this may simply cause a lot of doubt and a lot of questioning. And you can leave actually people hanging without a response because you're getting into technical topics that are not necessarily related to what they need. And it's causing more concern and more doubt and more questions and more confusion than what the Imam is talking about, which is to strengthen the faith of the people in their hearts. At the end of this, you have much more faith than you did at the beginning. That's the criteria. Okay? The third point related to this, the other condition related in this hadith, and we've talked about this multiple times, and we said, inshallah, this whole series is based on this premise. There is so much knowledge that can be shared. There's so much to know. There is so much to talk about. But the hadith went specifically to one kind of knowledge or one kind of knowledge sharing. And the imam responded in the same way, which means that this person knows what they're asking and the imam is confirming that. There's a very big difference between me sitting here explaining all of my theories and my opinions and my thoughts about all sorts of random topics and telling you this is what Ahlul Bayt have said about a topic. Who cares what I think about the topic? You have your own thoughts about it. I have my own thoughts. I may be a specialist or not. But that puts that type of knowledge and that type of knowledge sharing in a completely different category. If I say this is what God wants human beings to learn through the Holy Quran, through the teachings of the Holy Prophet, through the teachings of Ahl al-Bayt, versus this is what I think. And so the Imam is responding directly to a question. The man says, both of these are your followers. One of them is a worshiper. He didn't say the other one is a scholar. He said the other one is someone who is transmitting your words and your teachings to the people. So to be safe, we're not saying don't share any other knowledge that you have. We're saying to be safe, if this is your ultimate goal, if you want to fall in this category, then to be safe, make sure that you're anchoring everything in the true teachings of Ahl al-Bayt Link it back to their words if you can. Know their ahadith, spread their words. And we have so much from Ahl al-Bayt about this point specifically. They say, spread our words. The Imam is very specific. He says, spread our words to the people. When they will see the beauty of our words, they will come to follow us. You don't need to do the extra work and go and fight and do polemics and make sure that our teachings reach the people as is in the words that we have said them. These are not random words. These are the words of Ahl al-Bayt. Use them. Make the people familiar with them. Repeat them so that people learn those words. And the Imam says, Mahasina kalamina. When people hear and are exposed to the beauty of our words, then they will come to us and they will follow us automatically, naturally. There's not a lot more you need to do for that. Okay? And then finally, again in this hadith, although we are talking about the merit of the scholar, the merit of the person who has the knowledge, once again, you see that there's an additional condition here. It's one thing to know, and we have a hadith that are very generic 
They did not go into the details. They simply said the scholar, the person who knows. But this hadith, when the imam says, this scholar is better than 1,000 worshippers, he also said what this person is doing. It's not enough that you know. This person is spreading the knowledge, is doing something with the knowledge, and so it's having this effect, that it's strengthening the faith in the hearts of the people. Knowledge can't stop at you. Once you know, you have to start to spread that knowledge. That's when you're doing the full circle. That's what makes you meet the criteria that we saw earlier. You acquire, you act on, you spread. Conclusion from the hadith of Isa salam, you will be considered great in the kingdom of heaven. You learn, you act, and you spread. Imam al-Sadiq salam from the Holy Prophet once again, he says, مَنْ سَلَكَ طَرِيقًا يَطْلُبُ فِيهِ عِلْمًا So this is a hadith once again that we have seen in the past, but we didn't focus. The part that we want to focus on now it comes a little bit later. Now the, we focused on the beginning, now we're going to focus on the second part of the hadith. مَنْ سَلَكَ طَرِيقًا يَطْلُبُ فِيهِ عِلْمًا سَلَكَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى بِهِ طَرِيقًا إِلَى الْجَنَّةِ وَإِنَّ الْمَلَائِكَةَ لَتَضَعُ أَجْنِحَتَهَا لِطَالِبِ الْعِلْمِ رِضًا بِهِ وَإِنَّهُ لَيَسْتَغْفِرُ مَنْ فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَمَنْ فِي الْأَرْضِ حَتَّى الْحُوتُ فِي الْبَحْرِ So this is the part that we had seen and we spent more time on. Imam Sadiq says, the Holy Prophet said, whoever embarks on a path in search of knowledge. So now you are starting to become a knowledge seeker. You're not a scholar yet. You're not carrying the knowledge and spreading it to others yet. The moment you embark on this path, God forges a way for this person towards paradise. The angels lower their wings for the seeker of knowledge out of pleasure for what he is doing. The inhabitants of the heavens and the earth seek forgiveness for the one seeking knowledge. Even the fish in the deep seas, the prophet says. Okay, so that was the first part. And we went through it when we were talking about the learner and the merits of the learner in Islam. Then the Imam or the Holy Prophet, he starts talking about the scholar. He says, وَفَضْلُ الْعَالِمِ So now this person started out as a seeker and we understood now the merits of the seeker, the learner. Now he says, وَفَضْلُ الْعَالِمِ عَلَى الْعَابِدْ كَفَضْلُ الْقَمَرِ عَلَى سَائِرِ النُّجُومِ لَيْلَةَ الْبَدْرِ وَإِنَّ الْعُلَمَاءَ لَوَرَثَةُ الْأَنْبِيَاءَ إِنَّ الْأَنْبِيَاءَ لَمْ يُوَرِّثُوا دِينَارًا وَلَا دِرْهَمًا إِنَّمَا وَرَّثُوا الْعِلْمِ So he says, after he spoke about the learner, the seeker, now he's talking about the person who is now at this level. They have the knowledge. They can spread the knowledge to others. The superiority of the scholar, so the one who carries the knowledge over the worshipper, is like the superiority of the moon over all the stars on a clear full moon night. When you look at the sky and you see the full moon and you look at all the other stars, how much brighter and how much bigger is the full moon compared to any other star in the heavens? The Imam says this is the difference between the worshipper who is like a star and the scholar who is like a full moon on a clear night of a full moon. 
And then he added, Indeed, the scholars are the hairs of the prophets, for the prophets did not leave behind dinars or dirhams, rather they left behind knowledge. Okay, and so this, in that sense, the scholars are the inheritors of the prophets, as we saw earlier, so I'm not going to comment on that. So this hadith went or took us from the seeker of knowledge to the person who is now carrying the knowledge. Next hadith from Imam al-Sadiq alayhi salam. Alimun afdalu min alfi abidin wa alfi zahid wal-alimu yuntafa'u bi'ilmih khayrun wa afdalu min ibadati sab'ina alf abid. So again, this hadith is going to take us from one place to another. Imam al-Sadiq alayhi salam says, a single scholar is better than 1,000 worshippers and 1,000 ascetics, monks, you know, people who are detached from this world. Again, what's implied here is that those people don't carry the knowledge. Okay, They perform these acts of rituals blindly. And then he says, a single scholar whose knowledge is benefited from is better and superior to the worship of 70,000 worshippers. So the Imam took us from one place to another here in the same hadith. What's the difference? In the first case, the Imam simply said, a single scholar is better than 1,000 worshippers because of the knowledge that this person carries. This is good for you. You carry that knowledge, you are that much greater than those who do not carry the knowledge. Even though they might be worshipping and you're not worshipping at that instant, in that instant. But that's the knowledge you carry. Good for you. That's for yourself. Now if you spread that knowledge to others, now it's putting you in a different category. So the Imam says, a single scholar whose knowledge is benefited from. This is not just good for you. This is to the extent that people can benefit from the knowledge you have. To the extent that you're spreading this knowledge. Then the Imam says, is better and superior to the worship of 70,000 worshippers. The beginning of the hadith, if you miss the detail, you'll say the imam is contradicting himself in one little sentence. The beginning of the hadith said 1,000 worshippers. He's better than 1,000. The end of the hadith is saying he's better than 70,000. What's the difference? The second case, he's spreading the knowledge. In the first case, the knowledge is staying within. You're still a lot better for the knowledge that you carry. But it doesn't compare. The Imam is saying you are 70 folds better. You went from being better than 1,000 to being better than 70,000. And by the way, in Arabic, this is a number that is used for exaggeration. So oftentimes, commentators of the Quran, they talk about this because there's a lot of sevens in the Quran. You see that a lot in the Hadith. In Arabic, they use this as a number to simply say a lot, very, very much. So it's difficult to pinpoint and to say, is it exactly 7 or 70 or 700 or 7,000? When you see that number 7, that figure 7, it's difficult to say for sure, is it being used for exaggeration or is it being used as a, an exact accurate number? That will always require a discussion in Arabic, the moment you see that number. It's like someone tells you, you know, every time I ask you to do something, you come up with a thousand or a thousand and one excuses. You didn't really come with a, come up with a thousand excuses. You may have come up with four excuses. 
but I used a figure or a number or an expression that simply designates, you know, I've been waiting for you for five hours. You were waiting for 20 minutes. Okay, you're simply using an expression to designate exaggeration and a lot. So in these cases, it's difficult. But the moment you see this number in Arabic specifically, this is how the Arabs used to use this number of seven. It's to designate exaggeration. That's just a quick remark on the side. From the Holy Prophet ﷺ, he says, الْفِقْهُ حَتْمٌ وَاجِبٌ عَلَى كُلِّ مُسْلِمٌ وَمَنْ عَبَرَ بَحْرًا فِي طَلَبِ الْعِلْمِ أَعْطَاهُ اللَّهُ أَجْرَ سَبْعِينَ عُمْرَةً وَيَهُونُ عَلَيْهِ الْمَوْتِ So again, this is the beginning of the hadith, just like a similar hadith before, it's starting with seeking of knowledge and the merits and the ranks of seeking knowledge. With another twist that we'll come back to, very important. The Holy Prophet begins by saying, understanding or deep understanding, if we want to translate fiqh, okay, fiqh or deep understanding is obligatory upon every Muslim. And whoever crosses a sea in the pursuit of knowledge, God will grant him the reward of 70 pilgrimages. But he says Umrah. So these are recommended pilgrimages. And death will be easy for him. Which is perhaps one of the, if you know enough about our ahadith and the teachings of our religion, there's a lot of insistence on the difficulty of death. That hour, that moment when the soul departs from this world. And a lot of this has to do with how attached we are to this world. The soul refuses to leave the body and to leave matter behind. That's the issue. So more you can teach yourself to be detached from that, the easier that becomes for you when it happens. In any case. Then the Holy Prophet ﷺ continues by saying, وَالْفَقِيهُ الْوَاحِدُ أَشَدُّ عَلَى الشَّيْطَانِ مِنْ أَلْفِ قَائِمٍ وَأَلْفِ صَائِمٍ وَعَالِمٌ يُنْتَفَعُ بِعِلْمِهِ خَيْرٌ مِنْ أَلْفِ عَابِدٍ so the beginning of the hadith, as we saw, was about seeking. He's encouraging us. He says, even if you have to cross a sea to go seek knowledge, go seek knowledge. This is the reward that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will have for you. He'll make your death easy. And he will give you the reward of someone who has performed the umrah 70 times. Okay, the recommended pilgrimage, 70 times. And then he says, one scholar, one faqih, we spoke about faqih last week, one faqih, one knowledgeable person, is more formidable against shaitan, against Satan, than a thousand devout worshippers. And then he continues. In fact, he says both al-fi qa'im wa al-fi sa'im. Qa'im in general can be someone who is performing the prayer. And sa'im is a person who is performing the fast. So a thousand performers of the prayer and a thousand performers of the fast. And and a scholar whose knowledge is benefited from is better than a thousand worshippers. So again, the Holy Prophet ﷺ begins this hadith. So there's a gradation once again, going from seeking knowledge to now having knowledge. One. Two. The Holy Prophet began the hadith by saying something, a key, that we spent a lot of time on because there are so many hadith about this in our religion that it is obligatory. When he says, Al-fiqhu hatmun wajibun. These are two words repeated one after the other. It's almost like he's saying it's necessary and it's an obligation 
And he says, it's a necessary obligation. Okay? Al-fiqhu hatmun wajibun ala kulli muslimin. It's not a luxury to learn. This is not something you do because it's a nice to have. Acquiring knowledge is not a nice to have. The Holy Prophet, if you believe in his words, he says, it's a necessary obligation. It doesn't mean you have to become a specialist. It doesn't mean you have to dedicate your whole life to it. But to know enough, that's an obligation. To never stop learning is an obligation. These are foundational in our religion. So that's the second point. A third point, and I think this one is clear, that it's a great act of worship. It's a greater act than acts of worship. The fourth one, the fourth point related to this. The image that we saw a few times already, the last times we met, and in this hadith again, is that there is an ongoing battle between truth and falsehood. This is the shaitan. This is the reason why Satan is constantly mentioned. Therefore, this tells us that this person is performing a role. This scholar understands that there are constant attacks against the truth. And that's why he says, أَشَدُّ عَلَى shaitan. There's an ongoing battle and this person is more difficult to deal with for Satan to deal with this scholar and the effects they have to counter this one scholar is more difficult for them than al-fiqa'im wa al-fisa'im. This is where we start to understand the role. Yes, the merit and the rank. But the merit and the rank of the scholar is not for no reason. It's not random. It's because they're performing a role. There's a function that they're performing. It's only fair. The person, and we're going to see the ahadith later inshallah, the person who is performing an act of worship is not dealing with the issues in this way. He's not protecting as we saw last week. They're not acting as a fortress around the faith of the believers. They're performing their own acts of worship. And so we already saw a couple of the explanations for this merit and this rank of the scholar. This is another one. They are the ones who are standing up to the work of the devil, to falsehood, and the attacks of falsehood against the truth. And then finally, the Holy Prophet ended this hadith by saying, This is someone whose knowledge is being benefited from. So again, this is someone who is performing the role. They are dealing with the dissemination of knowledge, the spreading of knowledge. You want to carry the knowledge for yourself? You just carry the information for yourself, that's good. But you're not really performing the role of a scholar here. You're a scholar in the sense that you carry information, but this does not really apply to you. It starts to apply to you when you perform the role fully. You are the trustee. You are spreading the knowledge. You're acting as a protection and a fortress and allowing people, giving them the tools to deal with the devil. And in that case, you become better than a thousand worshippers and a thousand people who fast and who perform prayers. Next hadith from the Holy Prophet ﷺ, he says, Ya Ali, نَوْمُ الْعَالِمُ أَفْضَلُ مِنْ عِبَادَةِ الْعَابِدِ الْجَاهِلِ And this is where we see this teaching explicitly stated. We said in the beginning, what's implied is that the act of worship is being performed by someone who lacks knowledge. They're ignorant. 
So the act of worship is blind, mechanical, ritualistic, but does not have any meaning. Right? So he says, Ya Ali, nawmul alimi afthalu min ibadat al-abid al-jahil. Ya Ali, ruk'atan yusallihim al-alim afthalu min alfi ruk'atan yusallihim al-abid. So he says, O Ali, the sleep of a scholar is superior to the worship of an ignorant worshipper. That's why we said, this is the part that is not repeated in every hadith, but you have to know that is implied. These hadith are not talking about someone who is a full scholar and who is performing an act of worship. In that case, this is a person who has combined the two perfections together, the worship and the knowledge. And then he continues, O Ali, two units of prayer, two raka'at, Offered by a scholar are better than 1,000 units of prayer offered by a worshipper. Next hadith from the Holy Prophet Again, the beginning of this hadith is not the point. This is the point. This so the Holy Prophet says the superiority of the scholar over the worshipper is by 70 ranks. And then he describes the difference between one rank and another. And then he says, and this is a point, this is because Satan introduces innovation to the people. A distortion, a falsehood is introduced People are now exposed to a falsehood. And the scholar recognizes the innovation and forbids the innovation while the worshiper is fully absorbed in his worship, does not address the innovation and does not even recognize it. So this means that, first of all, this is another justification. right? The reason why there is such a merit and a rank to the, pro- to the scholar all of these merits and all these ranks is because the scholar is the one who is recognizing and acting to counter the innovations, the distortions, the confusions, the attacks on the believers. So once again, the role that they play is important. This is someone who is active, who is doing what needs to be done so that these people are protected from the falsehood. And the second point, and this is very important, what do you learn? We haven't talked about the types of knowledge yet, but there's a hint here. What do we learn? We need to learn those things where we know the attacks are coming from. What types of attacks are we facing? What types of issues are we facing? You can learn a lot of things. Focus on the things that matter most to you, that will harm your faith the most, that you are being exposed to. You don't need to go learn everything. Focus on the things, prioritize the things that you are facing, where the attacks are coming from. And this means, in this case, that the way the hadith says it is beautiful. He says, the scholar recognizes, identifies, recognizes that this is a distortion and counters it, acts to counter it. While the worshiper is busy performing the worship, their worship, so that's one problem, They're oblivious that this is happening and does not even recognize it. It's right in front of him. This is a distortion. This is a falsehood. This is an innovation. This is not religion. This idea is not religion. This is not truth. The hadith says, 
مقبل على عبادته لا يتوجه لها ولا يعرفها It's staring him right in the face because they're good at performing worship but they don't have the knowledge to recognize that this is a distortion and this is not and that's the merit of the scholar that's the specialized knowledge that you you need to acquire that puts you in a different rank in a different category you acquire this type of specialized knowledge you recognize the issue and it doesn't stop there you don't recognize the issue and you go sleep you don't recognize the issue and it's good for you you know that this is wrong what are you doing about it how are you protecting the people when you can against it this is where it matters the scholar stands to it stands up to this distortion to this innovation to this issue while the worshiper continues on with their worship and that's the difference the next hadith from the holy prophet sallallahu alayhi wa he says lamautu alfi abidin aysaru indallah min mawti rajulin aqilin aqla an allahi azza wa jal halalahu wa haramah wa in lam yakun yazidu ala al faridati shay'a i don't need to add anything to this hadith from the Holy Prophet ﷺ, he says, the death of 1,000 worshippers is easier in the sight of God than the death of a man of intellect who possesses understanding of what is permissible and what is forbidden by God, even if he does not exceed the obligatory acts of worship. You wouldn't say that this is someone who is constantly worshipping. He's not a big worshipper. But this is someone who has a deep understanding. The Holy Prophet says, this is someone who has rajulun aqil, aqala, or aqila, anillahi azza wa jal, halalahu wa haramah. They know very well, they have fully understood, comprehended what is permissible and what is not permissible based on the teachings of God. This person is more difficult, his death is more difficult in the sight of God than 1,000 worshippers. Even though they may not perform excessively acts of worship and they keep to the obligatory acts the prophet says imam al-baqir alayhi salam he would say kana ali ibn al-husayn will end with this imam al-baqir says kana ali ibn al-husayn alayhi salam yaqul innahu yusakhi nafsi fi sur'at al-mawt wal-qatl fina qawlu allah ta'ala awalam yaraw anna na'ti al-ard nanqusha min atrafiha wa huwa dhahab al-ulama' So Imam al-Baqir says, Imam Ali ibn al-Husayn, meaning his father, Imam al-Sajjad used to say, that which makes me want to give up my soul cheaply, generously, as a result of the hastening of death and murder or killing towards us. So he's talking about Ahl al-Bayt He says, I don't, it doesn't matter to me. I don't mind it that death and murder comes to us so quickly is a verse in the Qur'an. This verse makes me comfortable and at peace that this is constantly coming to us, this death and these murders, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Qur'an, do they not see that we come to the earth and decrease it from its sides? This is how, if my translation is literal, intentionally. Okay, this is what the wording says in Arabic. It's like you're looking at the earth or the land and it's constantly decreasing around the edges. Okay, it's constantly getting smaller, less and less of it. Okay, and then the Imam explains the meaning of this. He says, which is the departure of scholars. So when 
generally, there's a few weird commenta- uh, commentaries around these verses. I, won't, I will skip them. There's two times in the Holy Quran that this wording is mentioned in Surah Al-Ra'ad and in Surah Al-Anbiya. In one case, this is the beginning. This is how the verse is said. In another case, it's part of a longer verse. Both of them say the same thing. Do they not see that we come to the land and we decrease it from its edges, from its sides? The general commentary that can be acceptable is that there are constantly people leaving this world. This is what this word, the verse means. Do they not see everyone around them constantly leaving this world, dying? Whether it's individuals or entire peoples, entire nations leaving this world. Do they not see that this is constantly happening? Do they think they're different? Do you think you're different? That you're staying here forever? You're dying soon. You individually and you as a people. The Holy Quran is talking to those at the time of the Holy Prophet who are fighting the Prophet. Do you think you're so great that you're going to be lasting longer? That you're going to be ending up in a different way? Do you not see that we have constantly taken away from the edges of humanity that's constantly less and less? So this is how we understand it. But you go back to the ruwayat of Ahlul Bayt and they say, no, the verse is not talking about all of humanity. Yes, there are a lot of people. But what really causes the decrease in the people is that the scholars are constantly going away. And this is, of course, hint. I'm just going to say the little hint here is, go back to Ahlul Bayt, that's the real meaning of the scholars. And the Imam just applied it to himself. When he said in Arabic, وَهُوَ ذَهَابُ الْعُلَمَاءِ But the beginning of the hadith was, that which gives me peace. The Imam is talking about himself as an Imam. So the true meaning of the ulama is the Imam. That which gives me peace that this constant death and murdering is coming to us, is this verse, which means the departure of the scholars. So specifically the scholars are Ahlul Bayt. Generally, anyone who carries true knowledge and true teachings, these are the scholars, and they are the ones who represent the constant loss of humanity. You only have so much credit, right? Potentially, in God's knowledge, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows how many there will be until the end. But this number is constantly decreasing until there will be none left. Until all of them are gone, until the world ends. Right? This is the other meaning here. That what you have is constantly decreasing. The credit you have is constantly decreasing. So the Imam says, this is simply the law of God. So this gives me peace. I know this This is happening and I'm part of that. That those who carry the knowledge are constantly leaving this world. So I'll stop here, inshallah, next time. Maybe we can start with a quick reminder and a discussion for the reason why, as we said, the rank and the merit of the person who carries the knowledge outweighs, outranks anyone else, including the worshiper, by this much. Because this is really a truly great variance between the person who is supposed to be really good, the worshiper, specifically the worshiper, specifically the person who is spending their time fasting and praying and, 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 as they are mentioned in the ahadith, and the person who carries knowledge. Okay, and we'll add a few reminders that we have made in the past, but just so that we are very clear in the reasons why 
these are mentioned and the insistence of our religion. As we said, we started with that. Inshallah, we'll come back to that. And then we'll continue with the benefits of spending time. Maybe one quick hadith and then we'll focus on the true merit and rank of the scholar, which only shows in the afterlife. And we'll try to kind of wrap it up there and then move to the next uh, subheading in the series. Okay? وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله الطيبين الطاهرين Questions, concerns, comments تفضل You mentioned that there is a hadith I think you said from the Prophet peace be upon him is that the Prophets inherit the alim and not the dinar like, I'm not doubting the hadith, but wouldn't that something, for example, the first hadith, hadith I would have used mm-hmm. to uh, dishonor or take away the wealth of the Prophet Muhammad that was given to her by the Prophet? Yeah, so, excellent question. I was kind of uh, expecting the, the question. Uh, and so, uh, there is... Uh, in our history, when we go back after the passing away of the Holy Prophet ﷺ, just to repeat the question for people listening, after the uh, the passing away of the Holy Prophet ﷺ, the dispute between the first Khalifa, uh, Abu Bakr and Fatima al-Zahra ﷺ, in which he said a hadith. He said that I heard the Holy Prophet ﷺ say that we do not leave us, prophets and messengers, we do not leave behind. Uh, any you know material wealth in this world we only leave behind knowledge and so therefore he could not have left basically he could not have left this piece of land to you fedek to you that's the the gist of the the question and so would these ahadith and there's a few of them right they always have the same uh, wording uh, would they not support that claim so a couple of points the first one is that wording, when he says, I heard the Holy Prophet say, unanimously, everyone who has looked into this from all sides, who has looked into this hadith, no one can say that there is a single other person in history who has heard this wording from the Holy Prophet Okay? So this is if we want to focus on this as being a specific hadith. And Muslims really care about the wording of a hadith. And this is what the Holy Prophet said, or is this... You're paraphrasing of what the Holy Prophet said. It's a very big difference. Okay, so everybody says, no one, there is no one who ever can say that this was heard or said by, heard by anyone else or repeated by the Holy Prophet This version, this wording is different than that one. That's one. Two, if we want to talk about specifically this hadith and whether we can use it to support or not the claim. So in short, this hadith is not saying that the prophets cannot leave behind any material wealth. That's not what the hadith is saying. The hadith is saying that as a prophet, not as a normal human being, as a prophet specifically, what prophets leave behind is not anything material. What they leave behind is something else, which is knowledge and other things. But did prophets leave behind anything material? Yes, and the Holy Quran proves it. 
And Fatima al-Zahra in her sermon, she went through the verses of the Qur'an to, to show, here's a prophet, and here's another one, and here's another one. Did they all not leave behind something for their descendants to inherit? So prophets do leave behind. So this hadith is not excluding, is not saying that the only thing that prophets leave behind is wealth. They're saying that prophethood, as prophethood, what it leaves behind is knowledge. But it doesn't mean that you can come and take away someone's inheritance from the Holy Prophet because prophethood is only supposed to leave behind knowledge and faith. No, the prophets may leave anything behind. But you're not looking at it only from the angle of prophethood. The Holy Prophet has a family, he has wealth, he leaves it behind. There's no issue with that. But generally speaking, what do people inherit from prophets? It's not money, it's not wealth. What we inherited from them is their teachings. That's what makes him a prophet. Anything he leaves behind, that's outside of that discussion. That's as a human being, he has a family, he has his wealth, he leaves behind, he manages as he sees fit. وَوَرِثَ سُلَيْمَانُ Dawood, Right? Sulaiman inherited what Dawood left. Very, very clear. And the verses of the Qur'an about the other prophets are the same. So this is not to the exclusion of. It's not that because they are leaving knowledge, wisdom, ahadith, that therefore they can leave nothing else behind. And this is exactly what was established. And then in the case of Fatima al-Zahra specifically, like this is all the, the general discussion. And then specifically, was anything given to her as a piece of inheritance? And that's the other issue. Which is, it's not only that it was something that the Holy Prophet owns, and this would be the true meaning of inheritance. That's the greater issue with Fadak. It's one thing to say, I have something that I own. And I now leave this world. And then, of course, this is now going to be passed down to the next generation as inheritance. If you go back to the story of Fadak, and this was the claim at the time by Fatima al-Zahra and Imam Ali and others, and everybody knew this because it had been years that she owned that piece of land. The piece of land that we call Fadak was given to her during the time of the Holy Prophet. It's not even something she is inheriting from the Holy Prophet. The Holy Prophet gave it to her as soon as the verse was revealed. Jibra'il when this verse was revealed, Jibra'il came because the Holy Prophet wanted clarification. What does it mean Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling him and give the next of kin, your relative, this relative, give him their due right. Give her their due right. What is their due right? What is this haqq that they have? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent Jibra'il alayhi salam and he told him, as a thank you, for as, as a sign of gratitude from God for the sacrifices of Khadija, who left, who gave up all of her wealth in this world, and who left this world with nothing to leave as an inheritance to her daughter Fatima, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants you to give this piece of land that has just come to you, to give it to Fatima al-Zahra. So he gave it to Fatima. That's Fadak. And then Fatima al-Zahra alayhi salam, employed a manager with a team of people. Today I want to use the modern terminology. You have a piece of land outside. You don't have time to go and work that land and you know reap the, the fruits from it and, and bring and sell and take care of. That's a full-time job. She had a fully dedicated team 
with one person who is managing the whole operation with a number of people who are the workers there, fully employed. They live off of making this land grow and they sell its fruits and its dates and this goes on for years. Then as soon as the Holy Prophet passes away, they seize the land. The Khalifa seizes that land and he says, no, the prophets can't, in, you can't inherit anything from a prophet. Well, first and foremost, this is not even an inheritance. This is something that I owned before the Holy Prophet, whether he's alive or had pa- has passed away, this is mine. He gave it to me in his life. It's not a matter of inheritance. And even this claim of yours that I can't inherit a prophet, this is against what the Quran teaches. Because other prophets inherited from prophets. They left an inheritance. So why is it that the Holy Prophet can't leave anything behind? And then she told him, well, are you going to teach me and my husband, Ali, you're going to teach us the rulings and the teachings of the Quran and the rulings of this religion? You want to now tell us that who can inherit from whom? Like, are you kidding? <laughs> is this a joke? This, this is basically what goes on. And the, the sermon is, of course, much longer, but this is what, uh, what transpired. Excellent points, Ahsantum. And, and very relevant to these days as well. Ahsantum, these Fatimiya days, Ahsantum. Ahsantum. Wa sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi tayyibin al-tahirin.